for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. With you here until noon. Coming up, we're about five minutes away. Nick Athen, primetimesportstalk.com on the NFL. Matt Norlander, cbssports.com, uh, one of their national college basketball guys. We'll get to Matt at uh, about the bottom of the hour. You know, we started the show talking about uh, just the incredible uh, show of humanity yesterday, Bubba Wallace and all the drivers mm-hmm. and all the teams. That may be the sports moment of the year. I mean, I, the story of the year is COVID, right? Right. right. Yeah, yeah. I I can't think of anything that is going to be able to top that, uh-uh. at least currently, that we're going to see. It was incredible. Absolutely it really was amazing. Incredible. In a sport where, frankly, you wouldn't expect it. No. The last sport, maybe, probably, mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect it. I mean, the Confederate flag flew on infields until two weeks ago. Right, yeah. And uh, luckily, happily, that is changing, too. And yep. it's continued. You know, there's so, there's been so many positive steps forward that we've seen here over the last month. And hopefully things continue to, mm-hmm. to improve and get better. And it feels like... We're trending in a positive direction. Yeah, when he stood on top of his car after the the, the driver surrounded him, pushing him to, out there, and and then at the end of the race too, you know, coming across mm-hmm. and seeing the fans, and uh, uh, that was pretty good. So that's probably top that. I mean, <laughs> good luck to you. Good luck to you. And, I, and again, I, I do believe, I really do believe that. Uh, I mean, the story of the year is COVID, March Madness mm-hmm. being knocked out, baseball being knocked out, the. Uh, the NBA teams have made their way to Orlando. Mm. NHL is they've uh, they've bumped up. I think the, you were last week up until yesterday. Six skaters on the ice at one time. Now I think it's I saw yesterday twelve up to twelve. All right, they're going to uh, they're going to identify their two hub cities within the next day or two. Vegas is going to get I think a bunch of games. Are they really? I do think so. And Vancouver's the other favorite. So both. Pacific time zones. So what are you going to have? I mean, games starting Pacific time, 8 a.m.? Well, 10 o'clock yeah, our time? Probably. Yeah. Because initially, you're going to have a lot of games going on. Mm-hmm. You don't need to worry about travel. You don't need to worry no. about days off in the same way that you do in the other. That's another that I think is going to be a great part is when we get that going on and we got NBA. We're going to have games going on all throughout <laughs> the day. And maybe it'll start, not in the morning, but... In the afternoon. You know what, though? If it might start in the morning. Right. If, if you have a schedule and you want to get, what is that opening round? There'll be four different series going mm-hmm. on. You want all of them to start on the same day, right. or even if you stagger a little bit, you're going to have some overlap there. How, how the schedule still looks, and, and that's another thing with the NBA. We don't know what their schedule right. is going to look like. Yeah, we're well, waiting on a whole bunch of schedules, yes. right? Yes. They're going to get schedule We're schedule guys. Yes, we are. We love schedules. So when Major League Baseball releases their 60-game schedule. We're not going to go over them all. Most of them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but how much time are you going to spend that night going well, through? Well, I'm going to look at the Cubs. I'm going to look yeah. at the Blue Jays. And I don't know. I'm just going to. Are there national games? Yeah. What's Sunday night baseball look like? Will there be Sunday night baseball? You would think so. Yeah, it's such a moneymaker, right? Right. It's yeah. such a moneymaker. Yeah, there will be there will be Sunday night baseball. Those Fox national games, are mm. they still on there? You're mm. going to guess they are. 
I mean, ultimately, this comes down to TV. The reason that everything everything is playing is because of TV and getting these games on the air. What did you say the date was for Major League Baseball? That twenty fourth, I think. July twenty. Is that a Monday or is that like a weekend? Let me look real quick here. Got Nick Gathing coming up momentarily. We'll get to Nick momentarily. Twenty fourth. Is a Friday. Is a Friday, so it'll be mm-hmm. starting up that weekend. So there, there would be seven days in July, thirty-one days in August. That's thirty-eight. Thirty-eight plus twenty-seven is sixty-five days to play sixty games. Not too bad. About normal. Yeah, I, I think we can get got that some done. rainouts in there, that kind of thing, and away we go. Probably so. We promised uh, we are going to take a look at our four local NFL teams between now and Friday. We got to start with the uh, team that rules the roost. They're the Kansas City Chiefs, defending Super Bowl champs. Nick Athen, primetimesportstalk.com, primetimesportstalk.com. Uh, Nick joins us. Uh, he is the uh, VP of Operations, by the way, at primetimesportstalk.com. Nick Trenton Ken, thank you for coming on, Nick Athen. Well, we are on the, uh, we're in the final full week of the month. Month of June, obviously different than any other off season that we've had. You know, Nick, you said this weeks ago when we spoke to you, and and I I believed it then. I believe it more so now uh, that the lack. I guess I'll put it this way: that the continuity uh, on this roster. The fact that there's been very little changeover is a huge advantage uh, for the uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think uh, that uh, uh, Nick, that people may be making as big a deal out of that. Maybe they will, but I think it's a huge mm-hmm. advantage, Nick. Yeah, I think I think there's been some national pundits out there who have indicated that yes, definitely. You know, that's that's kind of the Chiefs do have a leg up. I mean, you just look at their competition. You look at the Ravens. You look at the Chargers. You look at the Broncos, the Bills. Um, you know, probably that, you know, the, the Patriots. I mean, you've got some AFC teams that have a lot of changes and, you know, there's only so much you can do in a virtual setting uh, until we get to training camp. We're not going to know, A, you know, what kind of shape these guys are in, the responsibility they've taken off the field to get ready for the season. You know, some teams are proactive. The Bucks and the Chiefs are probably two that are, you know, spending a lot of time with each other despite the fact that the NFL prefers that they don't. Um, you look at all those factors, plus the fact that, you know, the Chiefs are the defending Super Bowl champs. All they're talking about this offseason, you know, like they did last season. Last offseason, it was, it was winning that AFC championship game and winning the Super Bowl. And now it's all, <clears throat> excuse me, directed at, you know, becoming one of the first teams in a long time to repeat as back-to-back champions. So they're focused. They have a huge advantage, not to mention there's been virtually, there's been no coaching turnover uh, within the organization. And uh, I personally think they're going to be a better team this year uh, than they were last year. It's crazy to think about and, and thinking about what they have coming in at the running back position with, with Ken's guy, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yep. Hardman with another season under his bolt, belt to go along with Tyreek Hill mm-hmm. and Sammy Watkins. They are going to be explosive. They're going to score at a high, high level. You talk about bringing everybody back, improvements that can be had. It makes a whole lot of sense. So what is concerning? What The roster is fine, short of injuries, which happen right. in football. What would be the one thing that you say, this does maybe leave me a few restless nights? You know, I, I, you know normally season I'm able to you know pinpoint that pretty easily, you know, even last year. Um, I guess the, the thing might be, you know, this team has a lot of internal energy, and they feed off the crowd, the crowd at home and the mm-hmm. crowd away. Yeah. You know, you know, depending on if we have, you know, fans in the stands, which I personally believe will. I don't think anything kills the NFL. I think it's kill proof. Uh, but I, I, I think 
that might be the one thing where they don't have to, they don't have that crowd noise, mm-hmm. you know, that pump-up ability. You know, Mahomes likes to fire the crowd up, and Jones does, Frank Clark, Matthew. I mean, all these guys kind of have a similar style about them, and so that's going to be subdued. And how much energy internally they can they can feed off themselves or if they pump in sound noise, um, you know, that, that does have an impact on how teams play. Now, the Chiefs aren't the exception. That happens with all of them. Uh, playing in a, you know, there's some teams that play in a half-empty stadium already, and it makes virtually no impact. But for teams that like Kansas City, Baltimore, you know, the Patriots. New Orleans. That have huge, New Orleans that have huge home field advantages, you know, that's, that's going to be different. So that, to me, would be the one thing that if the energy level doesn't match the play because there's not as many fans or no fans in the stands, that 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 could be a concern for me. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Nick, and it's it's the great unknown. And I agree with you uh, as a fan of a, a team that I watch go into Arrowhead once once a year, and it's you know it doesn't turn out well at least recently. And it's such a home field advantage Arrowhead Stadium is. So that remains to be seen. Here's my concern, Nick. If I'm a, if I'm a Chiefs, uh, if I support the Chiefs. Uh, look, uh, the two of them, and Trent alluded to one of them. They struggled to run the football at times last year. I think that they've solved that uh, with Edwards Hilaire. I really do. Uh, but stopping the run on the other side, look, you're going to have to outscore the Chiefs to beat the Chiefs. And you take a look around the AFC West, in particular Denver, they realized that. They went and got, you know, Hamlers to, to be their Tyreek Hill and Jerry Judy to go along with Court and Sutton and Noah Fan, They know they have to score. But teams were able to run the ball uh, against Kansas City. Um, is that a concern, or is it uh, negated in some respects? Because, you know, if you're running the ball, you're taking time off the clock, and we know the Chiefs are going to score. Well, here's the thing you have to factor in. I mean, the, the Chiefs had two defense, two seasons last year in stopping the run. Through the Tennessee Titans game on the road, they were terrible. But you take the last nine games, including the postseason, I, I think they held everybody under 100 yards uh, rushing per game. Um, so if that's the case, I think their defense is going to improve. I think they finally got the scheme. You know, they, again, they brought all these guys back. They drafted a couple of guys that can make a difference in tackling. Um, you know, the Chris Jones factor is, you know, he might be playing for a really, really big contract versus a really big contract. You know, if he signs his franchise tender, but I personally think the gains that they made in stopping the run um, and altering and forcing teams to alter their their game plan because the Chiefs were so much better at it in the second half of the season and the postseason. I mean, this is what they did with Henry in the playoff game. I mean, basically what he had, mm-hmm. six yards or nine yards in the second half, and all they talked about was what a second-half guy. And they basically kind of figured some things out. So I'm not as concerned about it uh, for two reasons. One, I think they're going to be equal to or better than they were the second half plus. I think this team offensively is going to score a lot more points than it did last year. Because if you look at you look at this team in total, give me one game, and I'm talking through the whole season, where the offense and or the defense played a complete game for four quarters. If that ever happens, you know, we're talking about, you know, Miami Dolphins kind of dynasty potential, you know, for this football team. So I think they're going to be fine against the run. I really do. With everything going on in the world, not just COVID, but of course uh, the continued social justice uh, people that are out there, Patrick Mahomes is the face of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's also one of the faces of the league. He has been very outspoken. He has been out front of this. And really the Chiefs in in general as a whole, I've seen so many stories of the Chiefs being out there and being 
front-facing in everything that is going on. Certainly a good look for Patrick Mahomes and this whole team, uh, what they've been talking about over the last month plus. Yeah, I mean, I think Patrick Mahomes is the face of the NFL right now. I don't I do think there's a question about it. You know, once he, once he climbed on board, you know, with all that, I mean, some more tweets, and he's working with, you know, King James, and, and he's going to work with the other top guys in the sport to, to make a difference and make a change. And let's, let's be honest, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the whole political side of things just because I really hopefully, you know, still hope the sports is my release point mm-hmm. and we don't have to bring too much of this other stuff in there. But there are realities. One is there is social injustice. B, you know, I'm of the belief that just kneeling and, uh, you know, at, during the national anthem doesn't really solve anything. What solves is what these guys are doing now. They're out in the communities. They're talking. You know, they're trying, they're trying to do this the right way. And more people are involved now. I'm old school, guys. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be bashful about it. You know, the, the national anthem, my son's in the Air Force. You know, my right hand's going over my heart and my cap's going down. I mean, I'm gonna do that. That's me. That doesn't mean that I'm, I'm protesting the guys that are protesting. I think we all have the ability. We all have freedom to do what we're comfortable with. And I'm fine with it all. I, I, I think it's a good thing for the NFL. I think it's good for these sports leagues, you know, to do it in a way that there is solidarity, but you have to respect it. Now, I respect what these guys are doing. I think it's important. I think sports is going to be the key. I think it's going to be the caveat. I think it's going to be the one area of all the things that we have to deal with in our life and all the things that are going on. Sports has a golden opportunity right now to start a new way in which we can bring these injustices to the front, front words of everybody involved and actually make change. And I applaud NASCAR, the NFL, was on the NBA, mm-hmm. yeah. Major League. What happened yesterday? I mean, Amazing. I'm crying. Me too. That was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It's the, it's the sports moment of the year. You know, some teams, some leagues like the MLB, you know, I think soccer's trying to do their best. You know, haven't quite gotten up to speed as those other three leagues. Um, but... You know, here's a golden opportunity to actually make change in a way that's significant and not just go out there and protest and don't do anything behind the protest. That is of calm and peace and change, you know, and to develop a, a new way in which we look at things and to make sure that everybody's views and everybody are protected. Uh, Nick, uh, a couple on the AFC West will let you go. And look, and I say this as, as you know, as I'm a, I'm a Broncos fan. I, mm-hmm. I look, they're, they're, they're not close to Kansas City yet. I think the only right. team in the AFC that is maybe is Baltimore, but they've incorporated a lot of change, and when will that change uh, come together? I think Denver's taken steps forward and are now as close as maybe anybody in the AFC West is to the elite of that uh, division, and that's the Chiefs. Does, does Denver, in your mind, the second-best team heading into the month of July? Yeah, I think so. Just because of the, of the quarterback situation between them and the Chargers, um, you know, I don't want to forget the Raiders because I mean they obviously made some improvements too. But you know, the, the 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 Raiders have not been able to get out of their own way with Gruden at the helm in the last two years. I know they're not sold on the quarterback, so that makes a huge impact. But you know, I I, I think Locke is is a guy that has the potential. I don't think he's going to be in the class of Patrick Mahomes at any point in his career. You know, but he's going to be in that top ten you know, top eight, you know, a couple of years from now when he gets some seasons under his belt. The only issue I have with the Broncos is I'm not a fan of the head coach. I don't like his style. I don't like some of the changes he made last offseason. 
Um, some some of the things that went on that kind of minimalized, you know, the input from the players, and you could you saw it on the field. You know, I think for John Elway, you know, the fact that you know he's got Locke and he's putting all of his eggs in the basket. Look what they've done offensively, defensively. They've done some nice things. It's a matter for Denver of putting it all together and not being afraid to play the Chiefs. And I and I I don't want to I, I don't want to overstress that. A lot of teams fear playing Kansas City. Yeah, they all talk tough. And they all have the challenge. But you look on the sidelines and you're playing the Chiefs and they put up 21 points in five minutes, it makes a huge difference. How those teams adjust, and I think the Broncos are better prepared internally as a collective unit by some of the offseason acquisitions and with John Elway kind of taking more of a, a, a push forward when it comes to, you know, how this team is being assembled in the way and how the coaches operate. You know, and Fazio's got a very short leash, I think, in my opinion, because there's more talent than Chargers. Uh, you know, Taylor to me is not an NFL starting quarterback. I think, I think the fact they haven't gone after Newton, I think the fact that they haven't signed Kaepernick just tells me that, you know, I'm not really sure what they're doing. So I think the Broncos, to answer your question in a long winded way, are, are probably number two. Now, is that enough to make the wild card? Is it enough to beat Kansas City once? A- absolutely it can. But again, they've got to overcome that consistency from the coaching staff and everybody has got to buy in and I've yet to see that. The Ravens, uh, boy, I, I remember they were 14 and two. I didn't realize their uh, differential, their plus minus on the season, plus 249 for comparison. The Chiefs last year in the regular season were plus 143, 249 for the Ravens. Yeah. We know about the struggles in the playoffs for Lamar Jackson. The, st- the statistics look better uh, in the second playoff game that he had last year against Tennessee, but they lose it 28-12. That still looks like a really stacked-up team. A, a two-team conference this year in the AFC, is that fair realistically with the Ravens and Chiefs? It's realistically. I, you know, we've had this debate about Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. you know, and I think what we saw in the postseason is really kind of the guy that you're going to get in the postseason again. Um, I, th- this is my view. You have to be able to pass the ball and be successful at it as a quarterback. You have to. You can't rely on your legs. You can't run. You know, Mahomes is the exception. I mean, he can run. He can pass. But he can throw at virtually all angles. You know, Jackson doesn't have those things. But the key for me is the leadership. If if Jackson steps up in his ability to lead on the sidelines, something we have yet to see at any level, either in college or in, in at the NFL level, you know, look at his, look at the way he was talking, look at his attitude, you know, the cussing and, you know, sitting there and not motivating his team. You look at the Chiefs, you know, when the Texans put up 24 points, what was Mahomes doing? And he was firing these guys up one play at a time. He was in their face. And so to me, especially now with all the things that have gone on, the fact that these, these guys are, are being forced to, to work out on their own and do things differently and they don't have you know, they're not working with the coaches the way they normally do OTAs, mini camps, et cetera. They're going to come to training camp and, and tell you, the, the guys that are fine-tuned mentally, and I think that gives chance, can't see the, the, the big advantage. Listen, the Chiefs are the team to beat this year. End of story. They're the best team in football. They're going to be the best team in football again this year. They're probably going to win back-to-back Super Bowls. And I don't see, with all the changes Baltimore's made and the fact that I have yet to see a mature Jackson, forget about the playmaking, let a mature Jackson lead his football team until that happens. I, I you know, I give him uh, Chiefs are one A and, and the Ravens are one B along with everybody else. 
Week three, correct, on Monday Night Football. We'll see those two teams collide on Monday Night Football. Well, fingers crossed on September the 28th in Baltimore. Nick, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Uh, enjoy the fourth. We won't talk to you before then. I know it's a ways down the road, but thank you for what you do for us. PrimetimeSportsTalk.com. Uh, look for more things uh, at that website uh, coming here uh, in the yeah. weeks ahead. It's really good right now, now, but uh, it's yeah. gonna, uh, you alluded to us off air. It's even going to get better. Look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. All right, guys. Hey, yeah, good to talk to you. Nick Athen, primetimesportstalk.com. I like Baltimore. <laughs> I'm right there with you. They're, they're a really, really talented team. Mm-hmm. Now, the point that the continuity is there for Kansas City, yeah. for the most part, yep. uh, that they brought in some, uh, Baltimore brought in some guys, but, yeah, oh man, the, the, you're, you're, to your point, these are the two best teams in the AFC trend. I couldn't agree with you more. I, it's a huge gap, I no. think, between them and everybody else. Who would be... Who'd be the third team for you? I don't know. I mean, I jeez. Are, uh, are you a believer in Big Ben back with the yeah, Steelers? There's to been an extent. There's been some buzz about them. Mm-hmm. I can buy it. You can't. I like Buffalo. I think Buffalo's arrows pointing up. I don't know if they're. I, no, I do know that they're not in this on the same right. plane as Kansas City uh, and Baltimore. But I think Buffalo's arrows pointing up. Houston or Tennessee? Mm. The Colts. Mm. I like the team. I like the roster. I do too. What's I'm, left in the tank for your boy that's Phil? That's just it. What's what's he got left? I think Denver's arrows pointing up. I, they I play agree in the you. same division as the Chiefs, right? So it's wild card and, or and bust. a really and a really good division that the Chargers are really talented. Secondary is elite, and the Raiders are improving. I I, the improvements they made last year, I was surprised by that. I, I thought mm-hmm. they were maybe heading towards dumpster fire kind of status, and Gruden showed something. Yeah. Well, we're going to switch gears entirely, and I'm looking forward to doing so. Yes. We're going to talk a little college basketball. We did in the first hour, so it's only been an hour, but I'm ready for more. <laughs> Matt Norlander uh, coming up next. We're going to go around college basketball. Let's get his opinion on Luca Garza and the Hawkeyes uh, that will return uh, this coming winter. Miller and Condon with you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106. Ken Miller. Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 106.3 106.3 on the FM dial. Trent and I are going to get back into college basketball. Again, our thanks to Wade Looking Bills. We took a look back at the 92-93 Hawks. Uh, Wade Looking Bills senior season. Appreciate him coming on to uh, remind us some of the... Uh some of the things we forgot about that season. Uh, college basketball, uh, Matt Norlander knows a whole lot about it. CBSSports.com is where you can read him. You see some, him and Hassel on HQ from time to time, and Matt joins us. Matt, uh, Trent Condon, Ken Miller, thanks for coming on. How are you, Matt Norlander? I'm good. Is, uh, does Hassel stiff you guys, or does he, uh, does he occasionally entertain and hop on the program? No, he, he does. Some grief if you want. Yeah, he does the two-to-four slot regularly. That's the, the guys oh, that he worked wow. with back okay. here in Des Moines have the, our two-to-four slot here. So yeah, he's too big time for us. He, he waits till it gets a little closer to drive time. I see. Typical Hassel. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm happy to be on with you, uh, with you guys. How you doing on this June 
Tuesday. I guess morning. It's afternoon for me on the East Coast, but here in the morning. We're doing fine. Uh, so lots of ground to cover with you. Um, I guess maybe the bigger story that's come up, we'll get to the Hawks and Luca Garza and what they, what they might be with him and perhaps without him. Uh, and you wrote about this uh, yesterday. Uh, Kate Cunningham, uh, you don't see these stories very often, do you, Matt? A guy that you know commits to Oklahoma State. They don't have any postseason. I get the fact that his brother's an assistant coach, dot, 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 but good for him with sticking with the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, listen, when Oklahoma State were now, what, 18, 19 days removed from the NCAA levying a lot of sanctions on Oklahoma State's program, I'm sure your listenership is relatively familiar with that, but just uh, the nut, in a nutshell, basically, Oklahoma State was the first school to get hit by the NCAA in relation to the FBI investigations, and it was one of four schools that had an assistant coach that was arrested and eventually pled guilty to federal charges there. So when all that happened, there was plenty of discussion about what does this mean not just for other schools, but what does it mean for Kate Cunningham, who's committed to play there next season? He's obviously a one-and-done talent. Is he going to remain there, or is he going to go to maybe Kentucky, which was really in on his recruitment, or might he try and go on the professional route? And for Kate Cunningham... Yes, he does have a brother on staff. I get that. But for Cunningham to stay the course and say, you know what, there's no guarantee of, a tw- of me ever getting to play in the NCAA tournament as a college player, but I'm committed to this program, to this staff. I just thought it was a good bit of news for college basketball, which could certainly use it. And it was against what we normally see players do in his spot or what we think players would do in his spot. Another story coming out of college basketball is coaches, starting with the coaches from the Big East, working to get a Black Lives Matter patch on the uniforms Mm. of their teams. This is something that has certainly swept through. I know Fran McCaffrey has uh, put together a group that is also college coaches working for this. More and more, and these coaches, maybe even more than college football, the coaches are so well-known in this sport and the power that they have. It's great to see some of the power coming back to the players and what they're doing to try to help a movement. It is. We have, we have, uh, we have at least three organizations happening right now. So the first one that I wrote about last week is the Coaches Coalition for Progress. That's actually, its goal is to be multi-sport within college athletics and then eventually have affiliations with NBA coaches. And that's focused on a lot of community activity and certainly conversations between community leaders and law enforcement and, you know, trying to, to root out the evils that lead to systemic police brutality and systemic racism uh, in, in many facets of society, but in particular uh, within the police force. So the Co- Coaches Coalition for Progress is one. Now you have Coaches for Action, which was 21 minority assistants in the Big East that took on this initiative. And it is a notable news item. I mean, the Big East, it's not yet official, but it is going to be. The Big East will be the first American sports league entity, however you want to frame it, that will um, be having a Black Lives Matter patch or just some sort of insignia or emblem on the uniforms for next season. I would anticipate that we're going to have other leagues and probably other conferences do that as well. But for the Big East to do it, you know, that's that's the conference of John Thompson in Georgetown. I thought that was pretty uh, pretty awesome. And, and there are other initiatives as well, scholarships, many more things that are bigger than just having a patch on a uniform. Scholarships that have a certain grade point average threshold uh, that uh, people need to match in order to, to get that. And in addition to that, you know, education about how to vote in local and federal elections, which is great. And then 
There's actually another group that I have not, uh, that has not, you know, revealed itself just yet, but I took a look this morning at the, uh, at the website, um, and it's ridiculously impressive how good, <laughs> how good the presentation on this website is. So the point is, um, in college basketball and as it extends to college athletics, the reaction to the murder of George Floyd and in addition to Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, I mean, you, you just go on down the list. It's, it's downright disgusting and horrifying, but the reaction to all that has been really positive. And the one real strong point for college basketball is that it's coaching fraternity, although there are rivalries, although there's competitiveness, there's even, you know, I think because of the nature of the job and recruiting, there can be bitterness. Um, I've always said that college basketball coaching fraternity is more closely knit, even though the size is huge, it's the biggest. I mean, 350-plus programs. It's bigger than college football. It's bigger than any pro league. And it's, but it's also as media-friendly and as accessible as any other major American sport. So because of that, I think we're going to see a lot more good coming out of uh, what's obviously been a uh, – you know, a really a moment of hopeful, like potential permanent change in this country. Certainly feels like it. Matt Norlander from CBSSports.com is our guest. Matt, uh, it's kind of a college basketball story because Zion Williamson and his Duke days are under the microscope. What? Where? Where do we stand on this? As he's being sued uh, by, uh, I guess, an agent you would call her uh, Ford is her last name. Where do we stand? Yeah, it's Gina Ford. It's actually technically a countersuit, so I'll try and wrap this real quick here, but. Uh, Zion Williamson initially agreed uh, to a contract with uh, with a representative named Gina Ford after he left Duke. Then, soon thereafter, Zion Williamson balked on that agreement for whatever reasons he might have had and decided to sign with CAA, which is the biggest agency in America. And because of that, um, there were certain stipulations with the previous contract that Zion Williamson and his representatives sued Gina Ford. Uh, she said, I'm not going to have any of that. You agreed... <laughs> You agreed to me to begin with, so I'm going to countersue you. And the countersuits have been failing for the most part here. And so where we stand is that, for the most part, things look like they are going Zion Williamson's way, so much to the point that even a settlement, and Gina Ford was asking for north of $100 million, Oof. knowing full well that was never going to happen. But maybe you asked for $100 million thinking you can get 10 I don't know. But um, the legal wins are not piling up on Gina Ford's side. So for those who have been kind of following this from afar, heard a little bit about this, that, and the other, what I'd say as we stand right here on Tuesday as we you know, move toward the end of June, uh, Zion Williams and I highly, 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 highly doubt they'll ever have to be deposed or go and say anything in a courtroom under oath about what he did or didn't receive you know, in accordance with playing at Duke. I don't think that's happening. And I actually think that the... The, the, the defeats and the dismissals in the legal system are, are, are reaching the point where I don't even know if Zion Williamson is ever going to have to pay anything in any kind of settlement. So if you're hoping that Zion Williamson was going to be uh, the thing that suddenly tainted Duke or prompted another NCAA investigation, don't get your hopes too high. Um, the NCAA has investigated Duke twice, or at least probed into this situation, and those uh, probes were well over a year ago, and I don't think anything else is going to happen from it. But the one thing I will say is that I think this has been noisy enough with salacious enough allegations from Ford's side of it that for those that might have an issue with Duke or have an issue with how the NCAA does or doesn't handle Duke, I think Zion Williamson's time at Duke for a certain faction of fans 
will always have um, an element of impropriety attached to it. And if the, and if you're fine with Zion Williamson getting paid, but you got a bone to pick with Duke or Mike Krzyzewski, I mean, so be it. But that, that's that's about the extent of which I think this winds up being a bad thing for Duke. Let's bring it back here to the local front. Luca Garza waiting what his ultimate decision is going to be. It's incredible seeing national people like you talk about him. I know you and Parrish on the podcast had a long conversation about Garza yesterday. Just on and on and on. This uh, behemoth national player of the year in the preseason, possibly coming back for a senior year. Something we don't see in college basketball in general. A guy of this stature that... It's a long shot for him to be an NBA player, a longtime NBA player, coming back for his senior year. Your thoughts on Garza, and I know you've had a chance to talk with him a little bit here in the recent weeks and months. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on a little bit of what GP and I talked about on the uh, Ion College Basketball podcast. The most recent episode went up on Monday. You know, we spent a good 10, 15 minutes on Luka. Um, I, I don't think that he has a parallel in the past three decades, maybe even longer in college basketball. And what I mean by that and why his situation is so fascinating to me, I don't think we've ever had a player finish a season in college basketball as a clear-cut, like, top three guy in the sport. And that was Luca last season. There's no doubt about it. He was one of the three best players in college basketball. To the Iowa fans listening, I know you'll, you'll bang the drum forever that he was the best and you're still <laughs> angry about Obi Toppin. Yes. Whatever. The point is, he was a top three guy. We have not had a player be that. And then in the ensuing pre-draft process, be viewed as not an automatic to be picked. Right. It just hasn't happened in any recent history. And so because of this, he's got a fascinating decision. Because if he returns, then he'd be the automatic, practically, preseason player of the year. Now, that's how it used to be in 1974 or 1983 or 1989. For the most part, that's what it was. But it hasn't been like that in college basketball for a long time. So what you'd have, you'd have... You know, the player of the year last season, according to Sporting News, if he returns, coming back in preseason national player of the year and potentially having back-to-back dominant seasons in college basketball and doing so when his pro prospects just aren't aren't put on such a level where he's, he's seen as a surefire NBA prospect there. So to me, that his situation is totally intriguing. It would be great for college basketball if he came back. And for me, guys, it's because, like, Iowa basketball means something to Big Ten fans, and it means something in the state where you guys are. It's not a needle mover nationally. It mm-hmm. just isn't. It traditionally right. doesn't have superstars. So if you could have someone like Luca, who is a stat monster, a big man with some personality, with a plenty watchable skill set, I think it would be great for college basketball to have someone that good ultimately return and kind of set the table and give us, an unconventional preseason national player of the year and put Iowa in the national title conversation in the process. I do think he's going to come back. I don't think it's automatic. Um, but I think the pros of him coming back are so good they outweigh the cons of not. And I'll, you know, I'm ramming a little bit, so I got a lot of thoughts on Luca here. <laughs> I, I say this you come back, preseason player of the year, you keep Iowa relevant the entire season so long as you're a ranked team. That's probably going to be the case. And in doing so, you got a chance to win player of the year and. What's the downside? If you're awesome again, like I, I got to figure you're practically an automatic to get drafted in 2021. You might as well do that, see if you can improve your stock versus leaving now. And if you're lucky, maybe they take you in the low 40s or in the 50s, but there's no guarantee of that. So that's why I think they'll ultimately wind up returning. Uh, Matt Norlander, I guess. Matt, my last question, just uh, what kind of ki- company will they be keeping if they're top five? Uh, give us uh, you know, a couple of the other schools that they'll be mentioned alongside of. 
Sure. Um, so we're still waiting on other decisions. There's another player uh, on a team that's projected top five. We're waiting on to see what he does or doesn't do. Jared Butler at Baylor. Baylor is a top five team if he returns. Him and Macy O'Teague, I think Teague is for sure going to come back. Butler, I think, has a solid shot at being drafted, but I think he should return. Um, Villanova. I think Villanova will have a shot at being the best team in college basketball. Gonzaga could be the preseason number one team. Gonzaga actually has a player in Philip Petrushev, yeah. who is almost like a Luka Garza light in that, again, very productive mm-hmm. center who has some defensive deficiencies. Athletically, there are still some questions, and so he wouldn't get drafted. So if he returns, and he hasn't made that decision yet, uh, he greatly enhances Gonzaga's national title chances in the process. So you consider, you consider those schools. Um, you know, in your region nearby. I wouldn't put Creighton totally on that level, but Creighton should be pretty good as well. Um, so those are just a, just a few off the top of my head. You know, we wait on the Kentuckys and Dukes to see how good they may or may not be. And there's another team in the Big Ten who, you know, if Xavier Tillman returned, I think they would be a mm-hmm. top-ten team. I personally think Xavier Tillman's like one of the – I'm doing a mock draft for tomorrow, and I think Xavier Tillman's got a chance to have a top-20 NBA career of any player in this draft pool. I don't quite understand why he's not viewed as a surefire first-rounder. He hasn't made his decision yet. I think he will go, and I think he'll stay in. But if he returns, I would put Sparty in that top-10 conversation. Matt Norlander, thank you, Matt. As always, we appreciate catching up with you. Thank you to my children for being quiet as I did this interview. They did very well. (laughs) And thank you, children, as well. Take care, Matt. Good to talk to you. Matt Norlander, uh, CBSSports.com. I hear fireworks. Miller and Condon, back to wrap things up. On Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hours. Look at that. Then you were late. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM, NCMIC, NCMIC, Nick uh makes our promotion of the local farmer's markets possible. There's a couple tonight, Trent Con. In fact, I'm going to one. Oh, you are? I am. Cindy wanted to, she'd been bugging, we gotta get away, gotta get away, gotta get away, I wanna go on vacation, I'm sick of being at home. So I'm taking her to the Johnson Farmer's Market. Well, a vacation in Johnston, yeah, I'm gonna right. drop her off at the door and wait in the cars. But she's going <laughs> in. Uh, so Beaverdale's got theirs uh, today, uh, open Tuesday from 4 until 7.30. Franklin Middle School, 48th Street and Franklin. They ask that you remember your mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnston today is underway. 50 vendors, produce, flowers, baked goods, crafts, barbecue, live music that's at the Simpson Barn. Ever heard of it? I have not. I think I know where it is. I think. But, you know, GPS will get there. But, yeah. uh, so Johnston today, six, uh, 3.30 to 6.30, Beaverdale, 4 to 7.30, NCMIC, in our partnership with Catch Des Moines. Um, Speaking of masking up, I yes. masked up yesterday as I went next door to Van Ginkle's to get my baseball scorebook as I ran out oh, of on, sheets. On, uh, on Ingersoll. Uh, Ingersoll, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. parked behind. The, yeah. But I walked in, nobody was in there, and I was wearing my mask. Yeah. And I, I still have that, you feel a little yeah, bit odd. I know. You, walking in there, there's nobody in there, it's a quiet was yesterday monday you used to walk, go into a business with a mask on you're not <laughs> right and it just you get that kind of almost sinking feeling like i just feel weird doing it it's important 
Yeah, and I, I will I continue to do it. Me too. But it still feels odd. And, and that's, I think, a part of it that people need to get past. Mm-hmm. You look at Asian countries that this has been a part of it because of what they did had Latin to do with curve. SARS. and Yes, and, and that part of it. But it's still not going to take away the odd feeling, at least here, the initial part. Just keep doing it. Help each other out. I'm with you. All right, tomorrow, Cappy's going to help us out on Major League Baseball. It's Wednesday. Uh, our friends at Centurion Stone of Iowa make it possible for us to speak with Cappy each and every week. We'll talk to Cappy tomorrow. Cap's going to air about 1025-ish tomorrow. We'll continue our look at uh, the four, air quote, local teams, one each day. We did the Chiefs today. If you missed it and you're interested, the podcast will be up. Nick Athen, Trent and I talked the Chiefs. Tomorrow, the Packers, Dave Sinekin, theheadcheese.com, and Zubin Mahente is going to join us from ESPN as well. So tomorrow sounds promising. Yeah, and we're uh, we're having to look for a new Vikings guy. Our buddy Ted Glover yes. is hanging up the keyboard. He says he just wants to be a fan again, doesn't want to write about it, yep. and he just going there. Really enjoyed Ted, and I know a lot of people enjoyed our conversations with him, and he's also a Buckeye fan, which uh, hmm. was always fun to rankle him from time to time. But yeah, no, we'll, we're looking for somebody a little bit new on the Viking side of well, things. Well, I wish that... No, I don't wish we were on a different time. I, I love the 10 to noon time slot, but it prevents us from having... Our friend Paul Allen, right? Uh, because he's on the air same time we are. Anyways, uh, so tomorrow the Packers. Cappy. Bill Bender, hopefully from uh, Sporting News, and Zubin Mahente. Murph and Andy will be here at 2, the Fanatics at 4, and then tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., it's the Morning Rush. We're Miller and Condon, weekdays 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460, KXNO and 106.3 FM.